You are listening to The Real Men Feel Show with Andy Grant. Real Men Feel encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's get into this week's show. Hello and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. And today we have a returning guest. I'm on a, a nice string of, of new folks and some, I don't want to say old folks, uh, friendly folks, whatever, uh, acquaintances coming back. And um, so today is, is one of those returning guest times. And my returning guest is writer, researcher, speaker, entrepreneur, mother, and host of the One Broken Mom podcast, Ami Quiricone. How are you doing Hi. today? I am wonderful today. So thank you so much for having me back on. I'm excited. Yay. Yeah, I'm, I'm stoked because you reached out, or I, I asked you about coming on, but you had this idea, and I want to get it exactly what, what you had said. You, you were surprised how many men had reached out to you with their experiences from being in emotionally abusive relationships with female narcissists. So yes. I want to talk about men in abusive relationships, but where they're not the abuser. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah uh, you know, because I have tackled that topic many times on One Broken Mom. It, it, it comes from a place of personal experience. It, it's a, you know, a place where I looked at an opportunity to grow myself is to understand how I had been guiding myself, it's accountability here, into situations with people that turned out to be, um, you know, along a spectrum, you know, of sometimes of, a, of emotional abuse from just being an emotionally immature person to actually being, uh, you know, uh, very narcissistic, very damaging, very toxic, very poisonous. And, um, and so when I talked about this topic, as I've brought up many times um, on the show, I was actually surprised by the emails that I was getting from men who had been pointed towards my show uh, to tell me about their experiences of having been in similar situations. Because a lot of people had kind of thought that because it was a woman, maybe talking to another woman therapist or another expert, that you know, even though a bulk of those that may be diagnosed or identified as narcissistic do happen to be men, that there are actually, uh, you know, a lot of women that behave narcissistically in relationships and can be just as toxic and as damaging to the relationship and to their partner as a man would be with a woman. And, and, and these men, you know, like I said, hearing from them was surprising for me, not that I didn't believe that it couldn't happen. But feeling like I wonder how often men feel like that's comfortable to admit that that's the situation that they're in. Like, you know, what's the stigma? And so it felt like, you know, a great thing for you and I to talk about because, you know, you've got your followers there that are, you know, on this growth and journey of understanding how to release and be, you know, comfortable with sharing feelings and stuff like that. And admitting that you're an abuse victim, you know, and survivor is hard for anybody, regardless of gender but feeling like maybe culturally it's even harder for a man to say that he's being victimized, you know, by a woman because of all the, you know, stories and culture and shame and everything that we have around, you know, who's really the strong one, who's the dominant person in, in, our, in our society. It should be the man. So if a guy's getting abused, then, you know, gosh, there's obviously something wrong with him. And so that's why I thought you and I talking about this today would be amazing. Yeah. And it's funny when you brought it up, it reminded me of some experiences that I've had that, I've never publicly talked about. So we'll see. And, and I want to ask, like, so, so much today, especially every time I hear narcissist, narcissistic, narcissistic qualities, it's in regarding our president. So I want to take it back and just, could, could you define what you mean by, by a female narcissist? What, how, would that, how a narcissist shows up in a relationship? Could you expand on what that actually is? Well, you know, again, and we'll couch this with everybody. I just play a therapist on podcasts. I'm not actually <laughs> a therapist. Um, and so doing a diagnosis of a narcissist is always really challenging for people. It's a great word. It certainly has a lot of power behind it. So people love to use it on labels. However, you know, narcissists and the, the, the evolution of the definition from like a DSM standard has actually changed. But we're talking about generally somebody who's, you know, puts their own needs first and spends 
spends a great deal of time manipulating the people around them in order to satisfy their own needs. And they, uh, they can be very toxic and, um, and they can be very problematic when they become, you know, very almost sociopathic or psychopathic, which is they start to bend rules of society and culture and norms, like through lying and through abuse and, and things like that. Um, you know, there is also narcissism, which bears mentioning that's actually um, regarded as healthy narcissism that, you know, to be a little bit self-centered is normal for us. You know, humans normally have to be because we are wired to survive. And that means that in order to do that, sometimes we have to think of ourselves first it, because if it's like, if it's between me or you in a fight, I'm going to choose me. And so that, that egocentric point of view is not a deficiency in us as humans. It's a, one of our, you know, extreme survival techniques. So imagine somebody growing up in their, in their life, you know, men or women, boys or girls, and their own needs are not being met on a regular, consistent basis. Then they become even more egocentric of, of trying to hold on to their needs and protect their needs. And they tend to lack empathy. Like they, they tend to not get like low emotional intelligence in terms of being able to feel badly when they hurt another person like that that empathy is is gone and i think a truly narcissistic person like on the on the malignant end of the spectrum is somebody that doesn't really care what you think and that they're hurting you because the only person's feelings that matter are their own feelings and so they they can feign empathy or sympathy like they can pretend but only if it gets them what they want which is their own need so they'll they'll look like they're hurt or feel bad or whatever, but really they're just trying to, to be further manipulative of your own thing. And that's really the extreme version of it. And, you know, um, there is a belief that those, those individuals are actually pretty rare that we all tend to be narcissistic. Our nervous systems respond to each other very differently. And so we may feel and get defensive of our own needs with certain types of people, but actually not with other types of people. And, um, and so our own levels of narcissism can actually go up and down. But somebody that's going to be on that sociopathic, psychopathic end of it, that's the only life they live. It's a life of, of controlling everybody around them to get what they want out of life, whether it's money, sex, you know, prestige, uh, whatever it might be. Makes sense. Right. Yeah, and uh, you're, I'm now flooded with flashbacks. So yes, I definitely have had these experiences. Um, especially when you said I uh, right right out of college, I was involved with a woman, and she would tell me she had met someone else and had slept with someone, and just to see how, how I'd react. Oh. And based on my reaction, then she'd know I really cared about her. And this this happened repeatedly. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, so yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, now you know. <laughs> Excellent. Right. You know, right. and that manipulation is um is really tough and it's uh, you know it totally takes away your trust of relationships. And so if you've been in, uh, you know, and our first narcissistic relationship, if we have found ourselves with narcissistic people, you know, it, they usually don't happen by accident. Um, usually we have posturing that makes us attractive to a narcissist. Um, we have, you know, they can come in and save the day, you know, for us. And that's what they like is because when you show, uh, you know, some sort of weakness or some sort of vulnerability that they can zero in on, then they kind of like, you know, are able to wiggle into that. And then it allows them to know that those are buttons that they can push, that you have some vulnerabilities. And once they start to figure out the button pushing, then your own control panel starts to go crazy. And then you end up getting sometimes locked into, you know, a, an abusive situation with them. But, you know, for me, what I found was that my path forward to having all these types of people that were really bad for me goes all the way back to childhood of growing up and having those buttons pushed by, you know, parents, uh, you know, or a, a parent that her needs were always above and beyond mine, even as a child. And, um, and that's not really the way parents should be parents, you know, there's a balance of being self care and, and also being a parent. And so when you're used to that and groomed for that, you end up finding yourself, you know, always kind of swimming up towards the, you know, towards those people in your lives because of that autopilot function of our brains that really, you know, messes with us. Yeah. All right. Um, so I'm, I am just flooded with so many bizarre memories. I think I'm just going to like spill my guts and take it apart and go other, other places, whatever. But cause it, cause it's everything you're describing kind of clinically is bringing back memories of, of lived situations. So, so straight out of college, um, I'm at my, I'm at my first job and on my birthday, an older woman who was a manager there, but not my manager took, took me out. So it's your birthday. Let's go out. 
and and she gets wasted and she's all over me and i think oh my god this she's like blackout drunk i just gotta get her out of here and but she was like literally i had to like shove her away like that was the first time i thought like holy crap like male rape is like a thing i've got to like because i just thought she, again I, I thought she was like in a blackout I'm, I'm trying to protect her by like shoving her away from me and, and keeping her off and she's trying to undress me in my car while i'm just trying to get her like where the hell she belongs and and trying to end this evening mm -hmm. um but as t time goes on, it keeps she like thanks thanks for being you know diplomatic about the other night, and she's coming down. But I, then I realized, oh, she remembered everything, and we went out again. And nope, alcohol had nothing to do with the behavior, and it was just really bizarre. Um, but because I was this wounded, weak, scared hmm, child of a man, I went along with it. Things progressed. She taught me that all women cheat. She was married. She taught me that all women cheat and no marriage lasts and just get used to it. And my parents were divorced. I'm like, Oh yeah, I guess you must be right. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I end up living with her and I'm not, and because she's married and we work at the same place, it's a secret. So I live at a place where I'm not allowed to answer the phone. We have to kind of drive separately everywhere. It was just secret, secret, secret. And I realize I'm living my childhood because when my parents got divorced, my mom didn't know how to deal with me and dating and stuff. So she, she lied. And I'd wake up in the middle of the night at like six years old and hear voices and like see people in my house and ask my mom about the next day. She's like, oh, no, nobody was here. No, you didn't, you didn't see anybody. That, that was the TV. So I'm like, all right. And just like, so I, I, you know, I was like trained to not believe what I sense. And then I was repeating it as an adult. And I was just like, what the fuck? How, how did this happen? But so everything's saying that it, it comes from moons. And while I haven't had guests, I, haven't, I don't even, I can't even think if any man has ever conf I don't think any I can't remind think of anyone that who's like admitted this or or confessed to, to feeling so victimized by a woman in a relationship but I do know people that like end it and it's easier almost like oh she's you know throw some names be disparaging and end it as opposed to admit what the dynamic might have been mm -hmm. yeah but uh but yeah it was it was brutal I find it this relationship ended only by my going into mental hospital. It was the last time I hospitalized myself because I was suicidal. And I explained to the doctors my living situation, like, well, no wonder. <laughs> like, you might be perfectly sane, but the only thing you can think of is to do this. And like, that was the, my only way out. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Well, and you know, one of the kind of the hallmarks of that, that abusive relationship, you know, in particular with somebody that's a malignant, you know, narcissistic personality is that they, they get you in a situation, they make you question your own reality. And, um, you know, gaslighting is one of those terms that they'll use. And a lot of it is projection as well. You know, my experience has been is that, you know, when they have something going on that's negative, their, their own deep sense of shame. I mean, and that's really where, you know, the, the, when you are small, and you can't get your needs met and, and you don't understand why, uh, um, you, there's a tendency as children to feel like we are the ones that are at fault here, that we are failing in being able. And, you know, that's not like a super conscious thought that a little kid actually has. Like that's a complexity of thought that little children can't have. But when, they, when you're failing to get seen and heard and understood uh, you know, then it creates this sense of shame that your needs aren't important, that they aren't valuable, that you're, you know, you're not successful at getting it. And so we internalize that. And for people that, you know, we always look at narcissists and we think of them as being super arrogant, you know, and very, you know, it's all about them. And, but the core of that is this sense of like, I have no control and power in my life. I need to get it from other people. I need to manipulate people around me because at the end of it, they, they don't sit there on a chair and go, God, I really feel shitty about myself. Like I just hate myself as a human. It's almost the opposite thought, but yet that's where it's being driven from is that deep sense of shame. And so so then being able to project that instead of dealing with that, you know, on their own side, they just, they blast it and barf it out on everybody else around them. They make you feel shameful and they make you feel inadequate and they make you feel, and it's almost like then they can witness it through your eyes and seeing your experiences um, so that they don't have to deal with it, you know, on their own. And so, you know, questioning your reality, breaking you up, um, you know, a term that came up yesterday was siloing, you know, keeping everybody in silo. So you were in one silo in that relationship, which was protected away so that she could then silo everybody else's relationships. And then you can control what information penetrates the walls of each of those silos. And, and that's like, that's also a hallmark of that narcissist is 
Nobody gets to talk to each other. There's no integration, you know, in a lot of areas. Everyone's kept up in these little chunks in these worlds because the narcissist has to be the complete puppet master of, of all of those things. And, um, and it can definitely really kind of make you, it drives you crazy, you know, when you're with somebody, because again, you do question your own reality of like, and, and you get frustrated, you know, of probably how you felt with like, I don't understand why we can't be open about this. I don't understand why, you know, and you get in a weird, you know, in a weird trap for that. Um, so you, you're saying men don't, and men haven't talked about this with you on the nope, show? Not, or, again, okay. not to me. I have not had, um, I've had a, I, I had one guy approach me, wanted to come on and talk about male rape, mm-hmm. but, but he, it, it was more like a zealot. He, he didn't have any, he didn't have any personal experience that, that mm-hmm. prompted this. So I, I, yeah, there was something iffy about, yeah, I feel like I held some hidden agenda. Um, but so, the, I mean, the guys that have come to you, it, has it been physical, uh, emotional? What, like, how did they feel trapped and abused? Mostly emotional. Um, you know, not that women aren't, you know, are incapable of being physically abusive. You know, that's, that's almost a different situation. Um, the, the men that have come forward to me have been in what they described as also narcissistic relationships. You know, they listen to the episodes where we talk about narcissistic mothers, and then we talk about, you know, the, the abuse and the brain changes that happen when you're in these toxic relationships with people that are, you know, psychopathic or, you know, and psychopathic and narcissistic. And, you know, they, they describe again, just, you know, kind of feeling like, I would say that they are, they have difficulties as everybody does. So this isn't, and I guess this is what's important about this is that whatever a man is sitting here listening to this episode and feeling women feel the same way too. Women just have a better tendency because of grooming to reach out and to uh, seek help for this. But what happens is, is that there is this idea that, I somehow got caught. I don't know why I'm in this relationship. And they, and there's this difficulty understanding that we tend to not accidentally end up in narcissistic relationships. And I, I say this because a lot of people feel like, well, you're blaming me for being in an abusive situation. And it's like, no, but accountability is really pretty important. And I, my sense is that with some of the men that I've talked to, they're less able, willing, and I'm not, and that's not a judgment thing. You, you know me, hopefully people listening here know me. I don't, I don't judge or put down people, but there seems to be a harder way of sitting there going, how am I possibly accountable for choosing somebody who is toxic and narcissistic? What's going on in my background that uh, set the stage for me, like you had pointed out that you were replicating something in your childhood. And I think men have some difficulty with being able to do that comfortably. Does that make sense? I mean, I hope, I hope that makes sense. Yeah. And, and, and so man or woman recognizing you're in this sort of a relationship where kind of you, you've given away your power to such an extent that how you, what you think reality is, or, or any aspect of it is, is being gaslit is being, you know, it's a level of deception and lies that, that has you frustrated and crazy and confused. Is there anything someone can do to help that narcissistic person? Or is it just get out of that relationship? Like, can, <laughs> yeah. can, can it be saved from within, you know? Um, you know, depending on whether or not the narcissistic person and, you know, you and I both work in the mental health field and we, and, and so, uh, you know, one of the biggest things everybody, you know, always has to get over first is that you can't help anybody else. You can't. And I spent a couple of years with this idea of maybe I can groom my narcissist, you know, maybe, maybe I can get them to see that this is really deep levels of shame that they're feeling and that, you know, they have some, you know, things to heal in childhood. Oh my God, bring that up to a genuinely narcissistic person. And you are the enemy, enemy number one, because there is such a strong protection system in place for them to never admit failure, never admit defeat, never admit that there's anything wrong with them. That's when you've got real malignancy. And when you are confronted with a person, say it's in your partner of like, you know, gosh, I think we could benefit from going to counseling together to really work on this. And if it's like, oh yeah, because you need to be fixed and they, you know, they don't think that they've got a problem and you go to therapy and realize that it's just them blaming you the whole time. Can you fix that? You can fix you. You can grow you and you can get there, but you can't make the other person come around. And, and all the therapists that I've talked to and all the specialists that 
I've talked to all say the same thing. No one has ever been successful in like shock and awing a person that needs help into suddenly realizing that they need help, especially if they've been extremely adamant about not getting it. And, you know, the hallmark of the narcissistic person is, uh, is that they won't ever see that it's them. They actually are always a victim and it's always the other person's responsibility. And that's where then we get into topics of like codependency where a codependent person who will stay in the relationship, even if they're getting nothing out of the relationship, it's poisonous, but they don't know how to get out of the relationship. And codependents and narcissists are like, you know, peanut butter and jelly. And, um, and so it can be, it can be really challenging. Yeah. Cause in my understanding, even in codependency, like some needs being filled, like not a conscious one, but you know, the, the need to remind yourself how horrible you are is why you stay somewhere, right? It's at some level that you're getting, you're getting fed, you're getting a rush in, at somewhere from even yeah. the worst relationship. I think that there's that, there could be that. I'm going to say could on that one, because I also think that, um, you know, and, and when we say that, I think somebody might go, no, I, I don't, I don't ever believe that. I think what happens is, is that when we are groomed through our family of origin to be in dynamics that are familiar and our dynamic had a lot of that give and take, or you give, 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 giving, and someone take, take, taking, which is really where the codependency comes from. Yeah. You, you learn my needs don't really matter. Like, you know, oh, this is the way life is supposed to be. I'm supposed to do these things for other people. And so you stay in relationships with somebody because you have been groomed to believe that that's the case. And it, that's not the case. Like, you know, all of our needs matter and you have to relearn that your needs actually do matter. So I don't know that, you know, some people, um, you know, do say that like, it's an underlying sense of shame. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, you know, I think it's fair to sit there and go, I just thought this is the way life was supposed to be. Like, I, I, I don't feel ashamed about myself. I just didn't know to expect that I didn't have to be this type of a person. This isn't the way relationships are supposed to go. Right. I mean, it's, it's so weird, you know, to, to extricate yourself out of, you know, that swimming pool and put yourself into another swimming pool of people and go, wow, it's okay to expect people to be trust, you know, trustworthy, <laughs> you know, what a weird feeling it is on, you know, on the body to um, say, I don't actually have to tolerate, you know, the, the manipulations and the lies and the, you know, the, the unseemliness that some people do that I, you know, had had circling around me for, for years. And so I think that's the distinction I would make. I, it could be a sense of shame. Um, but I'll tell you that as my own person, I've never felt ashamed of myself. Like I'm not that person, but I certainly admit that I just believed that, um, uh, in order to make it work, air quotes, uh, that that meant that sometimes I had to choose me second. Not that I didn't think I was important or, you know, but it's like I was led to believe the relationship needs me to make more choices that I'm in second position in order to show this other person how much I care about them. That's not shameful. That's me trying to show somebody I love them. But right. that wasn't what love is supposed to be between people. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, again, groomed to, it, it, it's, it's, like even when something's horrible, if somehow it feels familiar, we'll stick with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the autopilot functions that our brains do. You know, one of my guests, uh, Dr. Stan uh, Tacton talked about it in relationships is that, you know, once after the exploration phase is over with a relationship where we're trying to learn everything about each other, we slip into automization. You know, we automize everything and it becomes an autopilot function. Our brain starts to jump to conclusions and making assumptions and, and guiding you into, you know, uh, doing certain things. And those are based and built off of the script in the library of all the experiences that we have in and we do that everywhere in life. And, you know, as he described, because if we had to think through every step we take, we would die from thinking through every step we have to take. Um, and so it's an efficiency uh, part of our brain. And so it, that happens in relationships is that, you know, you begin to just autopilot everything and, you know, and, and however all the dip switches, I use dip switches as a term on my thing because they're just little, you know, uh, however all your dip switches were set, you know, the back, those are the, all the patterns that you'll fall into and not even realize that, that you're doing it until you someday wake up and go, wow, I, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. So it's, it's, it takes the, uh, so it sounds like, like the narcissist would be kind of the last person to ever go into personal growth and trying to improve themselves. And that, so that could be a big clue if, if, if only, uh, if you're in a relationship and, and one of you wants to grow and change and the other thinks everything's just fine and perhaps doesn't yeah. even want you to change. Yeah. 
I'm waving a big red flag. That's the biggest red flag right there. And if you're in that situation, um, you can't, you can't get them to, to go, you know, um, you have to just, you, you know, especially if it's, you are in a constant state of threat and stress because of all of it, then this is one of those, like, there's no working on it. You have to go. And it is very difficult for people that have been in those, you know, in those situations, um, to hope that they can change it. And you have to kind of remember your need to change them and that hopefulness that you have inside of your chest that you keep tapping into goes back to the hope you had as a little kid, the healing fantasy you generated, hoping your mom or your dad or whatever your caregiver would change. You learned to, um, uh, to develop a fantasy of what could be to survive childhood. And then we take that fantasy into these relationships with these toxic people carrying that hope. But the reality is, is that they're not going to change. That's just a survival mechanism that we, that we developed. And we have to learn that that's what's really going on in our heads. Yeah. So that this, this false hope, this, you know, trying to, trying to spin the most positive viewpoint on this relationship that's crap is really detrimental. It's just another way that you're, you're hurting yourself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And when you, uh, you know, in the conditions that you're in, I mean, gosh, you know, you have to get out of one of these relationships to realize how much better you just feel physically. Um, because when you're at the, you know, when you're being manipulated at a macro level, like obvious, you know, manipulation and gaslighting and, you know, somebody, you know, this person's just putting you down and making you feel like complete shit, like that's macro level or hitting you, you know, it's possible. Um, but then there's also on a day-to-day basis, basis, micro violations, you know, just little tiny things that they keep at you. You're under, you know, your stress response system is on under a constant state of arousal. And then it gets trapped in that state when you're in one of these relationships and you then get stressed about everything. Nothing, nothing's, you know, um, is beyond the boundaries of of setting. You go to work and then get pissed off at somebody that you didn't, might not normally, you can start taking it out on your kids by being really short. And then what happens when you're in these dynamics? is once your stress level is like amped up, well, then your narcissist starts attacking you for being too sensitive or being, you know, being a bitch or whatever word that they want to be able to throw at you. And so then you're like, maybe I am the crazy person here. And then it just keeps you in that spiral, you know, that's out of control. And it happens to men, men that are in those situations where they're constantly being driven to that is just as, you know, just as possible it is with women being abused by somebody like that. And you had mentioned the narcissist has is skilled at sen- sensing the wound, the, the injury, the, the whatever the, the level of brokenness and whoever they're kind of in circles with. And, you know, that might be why it's it's more difficult for men to, to begin with, to to admit or to recognize, to, to do anything about being in an abusive relationship. Because um, it's it's tougher for men to admit that something's bugging them, that they were wounded as a child to begin with. Yeah. Or they may not even, they may not even recognize it. I mean, that's the other thing is, um, you know, I've talked about narcissistic mothers on the show quite a bit. And because, you know, there's, that's a big wound right there. When your mom's needs exceeded your needs, you know, how did we take care of them? Well, you know, as a, as the oldest daughter in my family, part of that was caretaking younger siblings, right? And, and so sometimes the oldest child has a whole lot of responsibilities that are placed on him. And it could also be by a narcissistic father, you know, this level of, you know, esteem, which um, and, and rising to, you know, some sort of achievement in their eyes. You know, we don't really know about it, but, um, but you know, do what would men, and I asked this question because, you know, if there's any follow-up after the show, I'd love to hear from other men on what they think if anybody wants to talk about this further is, you know, did you not have your needs met, you know, um, from your mom growing up? Did you have to always take care of her? And if that's the case, you might be then leaning in and gravitating towards other women who need to have their needs taken care of by you, you know, at at an emotional level. And some of them can be innocent and then some of them can turn out to be toxic. And so when the, the narcissist, when they sense that, if I do this, this person behaves the way I want them to. That's how they start to sniff out your weaknesses is because they test those boundaries, you know, and, and maybe you don't have very many of them. And so they might start to do one thing here. Oh, that actually got a, that got what I wanted. I wanted them to, 
you know, take me to dinner. I wanted them to buy this for me. I wanted to whatever it was that they needed out of them. Um, or in your case here, I got him to show me that he cares about me by threatening abandonment with him, <laughs> you know? Um, and so once the narcissist starts to smell that, then they do it again. And if it gets them a one result at one micro level and they need more of it, then they'll keep amping it up. And then next thing you know, you find yourself in, in that fight or that, that game with them. But for men to sit and, and think about and ref, be reflective on what their family situation was, it's hard because I believe a lot of people, we've talked about this before, that there's that stigma of wanting to question whether or not your mother gave you everything that you needed right? Um, because you may have had a, incredibly loving parents, you know, but emotional development and emotional nurturing doesn't mean it always happened regardless, especially again, if you had to, you know, take care of some person's needs more than yourself, that's going to prime you to being in situations with people that are going to constantly be asking you to take care of their needs as well. Yeah, we've had we have done shows on on the mother wound and the father wound and things that happen to to a man growing up if one of those parents is missing or one of those parents' relationship is is abusive, um, unavailable, wh- whatever it might be. And you know, I've talked to so many different people now. Even someone that thinks they they had the happiest, best childhood and the ideal family, there are still wounds. And I think it's part of human development. Like. It, you know, the, the, the one day that you didn't get what you asked for it does something and that launches part of your personality and your psyche and everything. So you, you, you can't have a childhood without coming out of it with some wounds. I right. Think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and to some extent, you know, probably, you know, if you look at statistics and they talk about like attachment theory, maybe 50% of the population had a secure functioning you know, childhood, the rest of us didn't, you know, so we've got some degree of wounding there. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, of the men that I, you know, I've had men reach out to me and, and admit that they have been in narcissistic partnerships or are currently in a narcissistic oh. partnership. And then I've also got men that on the outside, you can see they're in a narcissistic partnership, but they just have no idea that that's what they're actually dealing with. And I don't know if it comes from, again, you know, culturally we assign the word narcissist typically to men and it, there's a, a, a inability to identify it. Or if there is a sense of shame, again, of admitting that they're in a manipulative situation and, and they can't get themselves out of it because they should know better or they are supposed to be in charge of all of that. And so they don't seek out help and, um, and they carry on this idea that I'm supposed to fix this. You know, I mean, women have that too. I mean, you know, we, we end up with that, but you know, we also will admit and talk to people when we're having problems, like girls and women will talk to each other when they're having relationship problems. But you know, as you have a show about this, you know, how often are men comfortable with sitting down with a group of men and go aside from just calling, you know, the, the bitch is crazy. Um, you know, sitting down and go, I really think that I, you know, this is an abusive situation for me and it's emotionally draining and it's toxic and I don't know what to do about this. I mean, you know, that conversation I feel like doesn't happen as often as women are able to do that. And that's why men then will reach out to me, you know, and say something about it. Yeah. The only place I'm aware of those conversations happening is in men's groups. Mm-hmm. If any man is listening and feels any resonance that they are currently in a relationship that isn't safe, is abusive, is is uh, just wreaking havoc on them mentally, spiritually, emotionally, seek out a local men's group and and unburden yourself. But yeah, it and you mentioned shame a number of times, and yeah, I I find shame to be an element in anything a man keeps hidden or quiet about mm-hmm. because yeah, they they should be able to take care of it. They should be able to, if they can't take care of it, they should be able to suck it up, get through it. It, it, it shouldn't matter as much as it matters. And another, like um, the, the whole male role of being the fixer. And well, if I can't fix it, well, screw it. I'll buy another one. Like I won't, I won't admit I can't fix it. I'll replace it with something I could fix. And you know, it just goes on and on. Mm-hmm. But um, you did mention that you've heard from men that were, you know, in relationships currently that were narcissistic and sometimes looking at ones in the past and that, that's really what I wanted to ask about was from the people you've been in contact with, were they recognizing it only in hindsight or could people recognize it in, in their current moment? 
A little bit of both. Um, you know, some of them, the, the and that's been kind of like a theme with the show is that getting a, a message from somebody, anybody that's just like, I didn't know that those were the words, right? I didn't know that was what I was dealing with. They recognize the circumstance. They they hear the stories. They listen to the the process and then go, ah, that's what I was, you know, that's what I was struggling with. And then others that have reached out and they they have done what a lot of us do when we start a self-help, in, in, uh, which is... We do a better job, step one, trying to sort out the landscape in front of us, uh, you know, say, why is this person acting this way? Who's this person? And we start diagnosing, you know, our world and everybody in our circle there. And then the next step is we start to look at ourselves. And so when I've had some reach out to me, they're in the process of diagnosing, like they, they could give you the whole diagnosis of their partner, <laughs> you know, down to all of their, you know, personality types and everything like that. But the, the next step is then saying, so let's talk about you. I mean, where are you at with understanding where you're in this, in this relationship? And I think that that's, that's not a, that's, that can be a hurdle for men. And it also, you know, can be for women, but I, you know, again, men are less likely to understand how they can get in these situations and that, um, and, and it might be harder for them to start to look inward. Where are we at internally that guided you, you know, into the path of this particular person? you know, and starting to understand, um, it's less about what their diagnosis is. Now you got a label, you labeled her good. But if you want to move forward with yourself, what do you need to know about yourself in order to get you out of the crosshairs? Because I, I will tell you from experience, if you don't ever do that work, you only do a good job of labeling everybody. You're just going to keep landing right into the pathways of these people over and over and over again. And that's, you know, that's what I just don't want to see anybody, you know, to have to, to deal with, but to, to answer your question, some of them, it's like retrospective, you know, like, yeah, so that's what I was dealing with was a narcissistic person. And then some of them, they're in the heat of the moment right now, figuring it out. And, you know, somebody shared their show, you know, uh, shared my show with them and they're like, oh, okay, now I have somebody who understands this, you know, to reach out to and, to, and to talk about and to listen for more answers or solutions. Yeah. yeah I totally get that. Uh, you know, when it comes to mental health, mental illness, mental wellness, whatever you want to call it, some people get a diagnosis, get a label, and they feel, oh, there's some relief with that. But yeah, labeling your situation, labeling other people's, yeah, they might be an immediate like, oh, good, I got to figure it out. But like, no, oh, you, you just found the name for it. And it, it's not going to fix or change anything. Um, you, there's more work to do. And it's, again, as you said repeatedly, the only work we can do is the work on ourselves. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, it is important. And I say that like, sometimes that's the first step you have to take, right? You open your eyes and you have to assess your situation, right? That's a natural part of our process. That's what our brain is designed to do daily. Take in information, decide whether it's safe or not to take the next step, to open the door, to drive out, whatever it all is. And we do that then with our social situations and our relationships when we find ourselves like, okay, I'm, there's something wrong here. And so it's normal to sit there and go, okay, here's who everybody is around me. But the critical next step is, is how did I get these people in my life? And, and it's that accountability, responsibility, you know, question. Um, and we, we talk about, you know, again, shame is a, you know, again, the word will bring it up again, you know, the shame of being in situations with toxic people and feeling like it's your fault. No, it's not your fault, but you are accountable for the circle that you bring in around you you know, over and over again. And so if you keep seeing, okay, these are the people that I have around me, their label is only important to you because it may help you understand who else carried those labels in your life. And, and were those people responsible for teaching you about relationships and about partnerships and about communication and emotional regulation? Because those labels tend to follow all the way through back in time. And we can probably identify some really close people during our formative years that had those similar labels. And then when you see that, you go, okay, now I understand that my models in my life were these types of people, and I don't want those models anymore. So now I'm going to learn and relearn things that I should have been taught differently. And then I'm going to make conscious efforts to avoid these people now <laughs> and look for those red flags that identify who those people are so that I get out of that, you know, space and find myself in, you know, nice clean blue water over here on a sandy beach of life, you know? Yeah. It's more about taking responsibility. Instead, mm -hmm. too many people are focused on blame and fault, but like, oh, well, here I am. I've done the self-work to realize, oh, here's how I got myself here. And um, 
take responsibility for, you know, do, is this how I want to continue my life? Is this, now that I've learned how a dysfunctional, abusive relationship that I'm in, and it's because of my upbringing, I thought, oh, that's what a, a marriage, a relationship, uh, uh, a romantic bond was this way, and I've learned that I am wrong. Well, to, to really prove that you've learned that, you've got to make the changes and get out of that, find a healthier one. But to, to, the only time, you know, we're talking about fault, the only time I, I take fault is if I know it's wrong and I keep doing it anyway. Right now, this, this is my freaking fault now, right? Um, so, yeah, it, it's up to us. So, so if everyone in a narcissistic relationship is somehow, you know, they realized it today and tomorrow they all break up, they all end, would, <laughs> would there just be like this island of angry narcissistic individuals that just don't know what to do with themselves? Like, you know, what happens if you, if you get out of these relationships? What happens to the narcissist who refuses to see that there's anything wrong with them? Well, they go find another victim. And, and the truth is, is that they've already found their next victim before you've decided to get out of the relationship. Because once you start to see the writing on the walls and start to cast some doubts on what's going on and maybe start to assert yourself and to start to assert your boundaries, they're already trying to find your replacement. They, they have no invested interest in making it work with you. And that's really the sad difference here between it is because somebody who's codependent and has been groomed to make it all work and to try to change them. And even if it's coming from a heart-centered place of, I want this person to be a happier person. I, I can see why they behave the way that they do. And I've been through all of that myself. Um, the truth is, is that the narcissist doesn't care about you as much. <laughs> you know, as soon as you stop feeding their needs, they're looking for the next person uh, to just take your place. And, and they, they have no investment in making it work with you. And to, unless what they can do is to get you to put the blindfold back on, and stick with, you know, and get back to the program. But honestly, once you start to pull the blindfold off, you're, you're done. It's over with. In their mind's eye, there's no moving forward. It's just a matter of how to get you out. And usually they don't get you out until they've got somebody else to take your place. And, and that becomes, you know, it can become, uh, you know, much more abusive in that situation. And, um, but it, you know, it's, you know, over and done. So is there an island of angry narcissists? Doubtful because there's probably, you know, they're lurking on finding, you know, the next person, you know, that they'll get that's, you know, or grooming them, you know, grooming the next person to take their place or to hmm. take your place there. So. Well, that sounds horrible. I know. I know. I don't want to be on that island. <laughs> I will not go there for a vacation. That's for sure. <laughs> It does sound like the next horrible Fox reality show. <laughs> yeah, say, yeah. That would be, oh my God, can you imagine that? <laughs> what a shit show. <laughs> <laughs> so if someone, let's talk to men. So if a man is listening to this show and recognizing that they're in a relationship where their partner is lying to them, is manipulating them, is making them question their own level of sanity, um, keep, keeping things secret, keeping things from them, and it's been going on for a long time, what can they do? So I, I, this is what I want to say. One is leave. <laughs> you know, so that's an easy one. So we're done. No, what I want to say is like you mentioned this at the beginning. I think there's a tendency by men to dismiss the behavior of this other person and just get rid of it. But then my concern, and because I've seen this also where men keep picking the same partner over and over and over again, right? Oh God, she's a hot mess. That's hot. You know, that's sexy. Um, and, and I don't want that to happen anymore. You know, so if you, if you have this history of dating crazy bitches, let's, let's stop for a moment here and sit there and think about whether or not, you know, this is an opportunity for a little bit of growth on your part there, because I have, you know, and I, we also can't change people into, um, you know, improving themselves, even if they're not, if they're the victim of, of all of the, you know, of all these abusive relationships and one-sided relationships, it, we, we won't be able to snap them into some sort of reality, but we can at least bring this awareness, which is what I'm hoping that, you know, you and I can do today here, which is, you know, a string of really bad relationships is usually a good sign that you have an opportunity to do some healing and some growth. And, um, and so if you're in one of these situations right now, you know, and it, you've already tried, then you're going to have to, you know, start to kind of pull that blindfold back and realize that it's going to be hard to get out of it, but getting out and getting going. And you know, when I say this too, let's just say that this person's having a hard time, your partner. 
let them go figure their shit out on their own. You figure your shit out. And if there's a moment in which your lives get to come back together and intersect because you both have done some healing, great. That's wonderful. Um, but you have to be able to get yourself healed up. And if they can't work with you collaboratively on your relationship, then you have to just keep moving forward and, and moving on. But like I said, you know, men tend to dismiss the, you know, the narcissistic self-centered woman as, you know, as a, as a demon that they have no relationship or accountability into always seeking that type of a personality out. And that's where, that's what we're talking about here is if you can admit that, um, that you are drawing them into your lives intentionally and you don't want that anymore, then start to look inward there. And, and maybe like you said, it's, you know, through a group, um, or maybe it's just, you know, can you sit down and have a beer with your buddy and, you know, can two men sit together and actually have a, a frank conversation with each other about like, ah, oh, you know, I think that, um, I seem to, I seem to attract them. I wonder what it is about me that really likes these women. And am I really happy with that? You know, that situation. Yeah. And that's the key. Am mm -hmm. I happy with this? Not just what I'm used to, but yeah, I've seen so many guys complain, you know, and it's easy to complain on social media that like, Oh, women are just crazy bitches. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Oh, it always like, no, they're not. But I'm like, Oh wait, maybe all the women that you've met, maybe all the women that you've been in relationships with are. And mm -hmm. yeah. So, all right. Why? Why that? Why is that my experience of women? Like, why is that happening? Instead of, but yeah, it's too easy to blame and look out, outward. And I fear that when uh, the average American male shares that, ah, this crazy psycho, other people just chime in and, and enhance that blame that it, that it's them. But yeah, if you if you have the guy that that you can really open, be open about, and be like, I I really love this person, but they drive me freaking crazy, and that's how it's always been. Why is that? Um, to start asking those questions about about yourself th and get beyond just casting blame and and calling people names, then that's your opportunity to again, to take responsibility and to grow and to lead a happier life. Because mm -hmm. I've seen, you know, because I've seen, like you said on social media, I've seen men post about relationships, and they, and it is, it's almost like a, you know, I give everything in the relationship, and I never get anything back. Women just want these things, and and you know, like you said, no, no, not all women, just the ones that you have this attraction to, and um, and you know, they're like I said, the accountability of stop and ask yourself why you do that. Um, you know, attraction is parts of what is familiar. It is something that we have seen before in our lives. And we don't always equate our relationships with our family of origin with our sexual romantic relationships, but they are connected together. And so, and that's also this kind of like leap that people have to make is that how we choose partners and how we view relationships can actually be traced back to that family of origin, those experiences that we had. And it's not just watching our parents in relationship. You know, it, it, we didn't we didn't learn everything about romance by watching mom and dad or mom and her 10 boyfriends or, you know, whatever it is. Really, a lot of what we learned about relationship and connection and love came from our direct one-on-one -on -one relationship with our caregiver. And it feels like a weird thing for people to think about of like, ew, gross, right? Like I learned about love and romance because of my relationship with or you know, or my lack thereof with my mom or my dad or whatever it is. And yeah, because you learned how to connect with somebody, how to understand needs, how to read off of them. And, um, and that, that can be a big leap for people to be able to make that um, because they'll sit there and go, well, my parents were married for like 40 years and they had a great relationship. Awesome. But what was your relationship like with them? Did you have some emotional needs that were met or were you left? And that's usually where it gets a little uncomfortable to think about, you know, that it gets a little hard to dig into that past and that history, but, and, and more so for a gender men who have been groomed to not be tuned in to emotional connection and emotional relationships. Something that I know you talk about it. I know something that you advocate for changing, you know, in the, in the world out there. And something that, you know, I've talked about is that we do see that men and women have gotten different messages about relationships and about connection. And part of it is, is that you, you seeking out some of these narcissistic self-centered, you know, you're trying to do everything for them and they do nothing back for you comes from the fact that that is a familiar relationship from childhood that you, you kind of want to get a little uncomfortable with and explore. And maybe Maybe your buddies aren't the best people. And I think that that's what's happening. I think that sometimes men actually can't reach out to their buddies. So they're reaching out to me, you know, and maybe it, because of safety, maybe it's because of the show, or maybe it is because I'm a woman, right? It feels safer to reach out to somebody that might not feel like you're going to be judged for it in the way that, you know, your friends might, you know, reinforce the, you know, she's crazy, 
move on, go find somebody else. There's a 20 year old over there, you know, whatever it might be kind of messaging that they get. Yeah. No, yeah. That, that all rings very true. Hmm. So what sort of, what's the background upbringing that that leads to a narcissistic person? Cause you said it was still a victimhood there, but they just, you know, yeah, you know, it really the the sadness, the sadness of a narcissist um, tends to be found in the fact that they were ignored. Um, their needs were ignored. And I know this is going to sound really strange because sometimes the narcissist grew up as like a golden child. They were put on a pedestal and they appear to have had all of their needs taken care of. But really, at the end of the day, their emotional needs and their individuality has been inhibited. And, um, and what I've seen in my experience with people and then in talking with some of the experts that I've had on the show, you know, we all are individual humans. We go through very significant phases in our development where we begin to individuate. And that happens a lot during those teenage years. And, um, you know, some of the, the folks that I've seen that end up developing into having strong narcissistic traits. And I will, and I'll, I'll put this out here. I have, fought with my own degrees of narcissism myself. Like I said, narcissism is a spectrum and my own degrees popped out when, again, I felt like I was in situations where who I was as an individual was being largely ignored either by a romantic partner or a business partner. And I, I drove myself towards the combative end of asserting my myself. And so when somebody is grown up, maybe they were groomed to be the star football player. And the fact is that they didn't like football, but their parents placed a lot a high value on being that type of a person. Um, and what they really wanted to do was something totally different, but they were in a situation where they couldn't say no captive, you know, as children were captive of our parents. And, um, and that's been their life story. They're likely to then seek opportunities to be themselves and they'll have to do it in a controlling manner because they never really learned how to be able to do it authentically. Um, and then there are people that, you know, just are largely ignored. And so it tends to be like a, a, an emotional disconnect an inability by parents to recognize the individual child for who they really were and, um, robbed them of that ability either by making them address their own needs or trying to give them an identity that didn't really fit them and um, enforcing them to grow into an identity that really wasn't theirs because we have some belief or we used to that we can mold kids into the types of humans we want them to be and not realize that we're, we're our own thing. Right. So um, uh, does that, does that answer that question or clarify yeah. how that, and so when you sit there and I, I you know, like I said, I've, I've looked at the most extreme narcissists that I've had in my life and I have nothing but sympathy for seeing a childhood of where um, there were no boundaries, you know, set or, um, for him and his, you know, his emotional needs weren't met the way that they needed to be and giving um, the ability to be on his own and to do things his way was taken from him. It not, not because it was out of malice, but because of a lack of a understanding, you know, by caregivers and some other circumstances. And so he spends every day of his life literally fighting to stand out. And it's, um, it's toxic to himself and toxic to people around him, but it comes from the fact that he doesn't know any other life, you know, that he has to fight for that center of attention and do whatever it takes to be that center of attention. And it's, it's really sad. And depending on how deeply driven, you know, those, those experiences are determines whether or not there's ever any chance that anybody can actually, you know, um, turn the corner. Um, but self-awareness is the first thing. And so for anybody that's, um, that you have in your life, that has no self-awareness about that. It's, it's not for you to give it to them. You can't do that. Um, but if you have your own and you suffer from narcissism every once in a while, you know, and sit there and go, Whoa, I, I need to control myself. Don't worry about it. You're not a pathological narcissist. You're, you know, you're fine. You're, right. you're like a normal human being. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you're bringing all that up and that it is a spectrum and that w there's an element of narcissism in everybody and mm -hmm. our ability to, to use it when needed. And uh, as a defense, as a level of assertiveness, wh whatever, in serving the moment is great, but but li living in an extreme of of anything is when it becomes problematic. When it right. when when doctors might see it as a disorder and, and give it a stronger label or whatever. But um, yeah. yeah and the other and the other extreme is problematic, which is the low end of it, right? Which is where you have uh, you know, you don't have any sense of self worth or, you know, egocentric that you are a hundred percent of the time secondary to everything. Like that's not a healthy place to live either. Mm -hmm. So having, you know, being protective of yourself. And so what can happen in the relationship with the narcissist is that you keep putting yourself second 
to the narcissist's needs. And that has a, that has a, an, a long-term ongoing negative impact on your own life because we are supposed to take care of ourselves, right? Take a deep breath and give ourselves some space. And that's where boundary setting comes in. And, and somebody that's been groomed by narcissistic parents or a narcissistic parent learn to not never have a boundary, learn to never assert a boundary and, um, and, not ha- and not be able to protect that boundary. And with narcissistic parents, you can turn into a narcissist yourself, or you can turn into somebody that's going to be constantly victimized by narcissists until you realize I don't want these people around me anymore. Oh. Yeah. It's a, uh mind of the old the old line of um you know only only a sane person questions their sanity so if you're concerned that you're narcissist that might mean you're not one right <laughs> right right yeah yeah definitely um and you can tell somebody too when they say and they and when they claim they're not narcissistic i'm not a narcissist and they're uh, you know maybe maybe not <laughs> you know so right. yeah just yeah. not yeah cold denials doesn't mean anything but yeah your own awareness right. of hmm yeah. I mean, yes if you're yeah. willing, if you're willing to consider it that's a, a good sign that you're you're at least not living on one end there right right so so what's the best place and ways that people can get in touch with you um and find your show one broken mom well, One Broken Mom, thank you for asking that. I appreciate that. Um, One Broken Mom is on any podcast platform that anybody's out using. So if they listen to podcasts already, just search for One Broken Mom and you can find it there. Um, I also have a YouTube channel. I actually have a community growing on YouTube. Um, I think people think of it more like television. So my episodes are recorded just like this one here. There's a video version of it. And so people can go find One Broken Mom you know, on YouTube there. And then I'm on social media. I'm accessible. So you know, Facebook, Instagram, you know, One Broken Mom is out there too. I like chatting to people. I like chatting on posts. And, um, and so when people reach out, uh, I get emails for people that want to hear more about certain topics or they make recommendations of, you know, other folks that they've read or listened to. And, and, um, and if they uh, think that it might be a good fit for the show, I love, you know, getting stuff like that. And so those are easy. And then my website's amiqueercony.com, which, you know, I'm sure you'll have a link in the podcast notes. You don't have to worry about spelling all of that. (laughs) Um, but that's really easy. Um, you know, I'm a one woman media company right now. So if you're sending an email, you're getting me, not a virtual assistant. And so if I don't get back to you right away, don't take it personally. Um, I do, uh, do my best to answer all the emails that I, that I get from people and stuff, but you know, on the show, you're going to find, you know, a variety of topics that, that deal with us really kind of taking a long, hard look at childhood and our traumas and adversities because half of us have them. The other half of us have very little of them. And, you know, the intent is there to be able to improve our relationships with each other, our relationship with ourselves, And if you happen to be a parent, then it's an ability to be able to understand how to improve your relationship with your kids and how to improve your parenting so that you can break that chain of intergenerational trauma because we do tend to pass that down through what we're taught, what culture teaches us. And there's just too much compelling evidence and science that's coming out in the last two decades for us to ignore the fact that you know brain architecture is a real deal. And those experiences that we were guided into and shown as children do tend to lead us astray, self, you know, lead us into self-sabotage. And we don't actually have to do that once we're willing to take some steps to be able to say, listen, I can actually retune some of my wiring, or I can at least respect my wiring and understand how to regulate it a little bit better. And that includes being able to keep ourselves away and out of really poisonous situations that maybe we have a bit in our past that we just, you know, God, you don't actually have to keep dating really crappy people, you know, or, or getting married and divorced a million times, you know, um, if you're ready to kind of do some work and listen. And so um, that's what the my show direction is about. Cool. Yeah, if you haven't checked out the show, I highly recommend it. And just because mom's in the title doesn't mean it's only for moms. Um, just as just because just men is in the television show doesn't mean you know you you can't be a woman and dare listen in or get something out of it as well. Absolutely. Because um, we're all freaking human beings and we're all got some degree of being fucked up. <laughs> exactly. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> So I really want to thank you again, Ami, for, for, for reaching out and uh, for doing what you do um, and for, for being a rare, safe place that some men in some level of pain are, feel that they can reach out because um, that's what it takes. So uh, man or woman, if you find yourself in an abusive relationship, physically, mentally, emotionally, you don't have to stay there. 
No, um, you, you don't have to do that. Yeah. And I appreciate you, you having me on today really uh, quite a bit. And I would be, you know, I'd be interested in hearing, you know, uh, what are some of the reasons men don't share their experiences with abusive yeah. relationships? You know, what's held you back from talking about it? Um, I think that there's a lot that we can learn from each other and grow from in there. And so I, I invite anybody that wants to email me or you, I'm sure you'll take the emails too. I mean, let us know, you know, why don't men talk about their abusive situations or what keeps you from recognizing that you might be in abuse? Because I will tell you, with abuse. It takes a long time, myself included, to use it. We call it the A word, to finally admit that the toxic situation you were in is actually an abusive situation. You don't have to be hit to be abused. Emotional abuse is devastating. And in fact, and a bruise heals. But what happens to your psyche and your self-esteem and your confidence in your life lingers after the fact and emotional abuse can have a long-term effect on there. And so um, giving men a resource to be able to be open about this fact that they may be in abusive situations to me is why, you know, you and me sitting here and talking about this today feels really important to me. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. And, and if anyone out there wants to come on and share their story, if, if you feel like you, you want to be, you know, this, this open and, and, and tell the world what you've gone through, are going through um, so they can serve and help others, you know, I'd, I'd be honored to have you. absolutely absolutely beautiful so thanks again for for being a guest today thanks everyone for listening wherever you are finding real men feel please give a share a like a comment subscribe introduce the show to somebody else and until next time be good to yourself thank you for listening to real men feel reach out to us at realmenfeel at gmail.com learn more about andy grant at theandygrant.com until next time visit realmenfeel.org or the Real Men Feel Facebook group and share what you thought of this episode. Please give this podcast a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you are discovering Real Men Feel.